Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson gets an update on the red-hot Austin real estate market with Romeo Manzanilla, president of the Austin Board of Realtors and broker in charge at Realty Austin. We've seen since the start of the pandemic in Austin a little bit of a pullback with fewer new listings and it's pushed you know, this inventory level down into really dangerous waters. I mean, it was already in some a pretty critical level, but uh, with with fewer listings and still a lot of demand for housing, is it right to say it is a crazy time for the housing market? It is. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of people speculated that uh, because of the pandemic, that it may shift into a buyer's market and it's had quite the opposite effect. I mean, it's really amplified this being a seller's market. So, you know, one of the big things that we're looking at, like you just mentioned, is inventory. I mean, we're, you know, we're really in the second half of the year. I mean, we're really making up for the lost time in terms of when all real estate sales really slowed down back in um, early on in, in March. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that was kind of the onset, you know, early on midway in March. And even, you know, the when you look at March, March started off so strong that when right. you looked at the numbers at the end of March, even though there was very little activity that last week of March, the activity in the number of units sold was only slightly down from where it was in 2019. So we were really on a breakneck, you know, record setting uh, pace for the entire year. And of course, the pandemic hit that's what Austin does. The housing market sets a record every year. It seems like, will sales volume grow this year? Will it be flat? What, what are you guys seeing? It's all going to be dependent on inventory levels. I mean, when we look at the year to date sales units, I mean, we're still down where we were compared to last year. We're down about 5.6, but that numbers has been shrinking every single month. Mm-hmm. You know, luckily what we're seeing is that we are seeing more listings start to come on the market but we still are short of where we were last year from an inventory perspective. So, you know, we, everybody's just waiting to see what is going to be freed up in terms of inventory because, you know, we may hit a brick wall where certain areas, certain part of towns, you know, there is no inventory to sell. So that's one of the the fears just because, you know, and that's, you know, that's driven by consumer demand. That's, you know, and one of the lucky things about Austin is of course our economy is is tech driven. So, we haven't, you know, we were in a little bit of a bubble as compared to the rest of the, the world, the rest of the nation and the rest of Texas as well. So a lot of our consumers that were in positions to buy were not necessarily affected by the pandemic. Uh, the only thing they needed to do was just shift their operations from going into an office to working at home. By the time this episode airs, I believe we'll um, at ABJ, we'll have heard from Emily Chenevere, the Austin Board of Realtors CEO, and she's going to give a presentation talking about the housing market in, on the north side of the metro. And one of the crazy stats that she had written about and talked about was, um, I think inventory levels are, it's less than half a month. It's like 0.3 months uh, in the zip code around the new Apple campus where that's being constructed. So that, you know, that screeching halt in inventory is already playing out uh, in some corners of the market. Yeah, of course, you know, when any of these large uh, tech companies announce you an expansion or are moving into an area, then immediately you have 
investors that take note and start to look mm -hmm. at occupancy rates in those areas, look for opportunities to be able to flip homes. So it really intensifies and amplifies the competition in those areas. So right now, of course, the first phase of that Apple expansion is supposed to employ 5,000 with up to yeah. 15,000 people and people want to, you know, people want to live close to where, you know, they want to work. I mean, because obviously traffic is a serious, uh, a serious issue that Austin is also dealing with. So most people want to live, you know, within a five to 10 mile radius of where they're working. So it is an inventory problem, uh, you know, or it's an inventory issue, I should say, a challenge. Um, but is conversely, is it, isn't it, I've heard from some folks that it's kind of a, uh, a seller's market in a way, because there's, you know, the demand is there. So, um, so you might have kind of your pick of the litter if you, if you do list right now. So will, do you think more people will, will, uh, will, will into the market with new listings? Yeah, it really depends on where those sellers are going. Right. And sure. what's happening right now is that we're seeing uh, sellers that are more central to Austin looking at the suburbs and looking out into, in some situations, even at ranches, even out in the hill country, because yeah. they can, yeah, because for one, yeah, you know, yeah, they, yeah, they can, they can work from, they can work from home. They don't necessarily want to be on top of each other, you know, from a density perspective, uh, they can buy a nicer, larger home with more space. And, you know, in those situations, I mean, those sellers are cashing out, you know, they're really taking advantage of the market because of the fact that their property and the demand for their type of property has increased so much and they are willing to move out into the suburbs and out into the outskirts of the Austin area. So that's, that where we're, you know, that's a big part of what we're seeing right now. The, the issue though, is if somebody wants to sell, yes, you can easily sell your home, but where are you going to move to? And if you're yeah. wanting to, you know, and when you couple the, the inventory issue along with the rising prices, you know, because right now we're seeing on average, uh, list prices are about 13% higher than they were what they were last year. So affordability is definitely an issue. And then you all, there's also the lending side of things too, where jumbo loans have pretty much all disappeared. So anything that is above conventional loan limits, it's hard to get financed. So there's a lot of different things, a lot of factors there, and it's really affecting that mid to higher uh, range because of the fact that those people who are moving up, they have, unless they are buying cash, I mean, they are going to have a hard time finding a home to move into, even though they're going to make great money on the sale of their house. Yep. Hard to finance, hard, hard to, hard to find a home. Um, exactly. I've spoken to peers, you know, in the newsroom at Austin Business Journal who, uh, you know, we, we were in that lucky set that, that can work pretty much completely remotely um, with a few you know, traveling a little bit for interviews occasionally. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, you know, most of us wouldn't mind having our toes in Lake Travis uh, or, you know, sitting somewhere, um, you know, with a nice sunset while, while, you know, doing an interview like this. But I mean, yeah, could, could you even find the house that you were looking for at the right price and with the right financing? So uh, a tricky time. I, what, you know, what do you tell, um, so you're a broker in charge at Realty Austin and you're the 2020 Austin Board of Realtors president. So um, you're in a situation where you're probably interacting with a lot of realtors, probably uh, giving out a lot of counsel. What, what do you advise agents at times like these when they're, you know, getting new clients and talking to their existing clients? 
Well, you know, part of it is setting the right expectation, right? Because I think a lot of consumers, I mean, live and die by HGTV, right? And they, yeah, yeah they use that as the go-to. It's like there we, you know, we as uh, realtors are going to show you more than three houses, more than likely. <laughs> and we're not going to make you pick, you know, one of the three, right? Because that's what uh, a lot of the perception that uh, consumers have. But I think, you know, in this- you can't wrap it up in one, you, can, you can't wrap it up in one episode? I, we can't. Yeah. It's not going to be like, Hey, we're going to show you, you know, these three houses in 30 minutes and you got to pick one. That's it. No more. <laughs> so, um, so that's not reality, but I think, you know, in this, in this time, during this time, it's about setting the right expectations and being realistic. Whereas before people were wanting to test the market from a buyer's perspective um, in terms of coming in and maybe lowballing an offer uh, in those situations, I mean, you are just wasting the time. You're wasting you know, the, the person is really wasting the, the time of the realtor and say it was time of the seller and the time yeah. in their own time, because you have to be realistic with an appreciating market. And that's if, if there isn't even a multiple offer situation, because we're seeing multiple offer situations become the new norm where people, People are having to put offers, you know, well above ask asking price, and then are also uh, worried about appraisal issues as well. Because in situations yep. where they aren't paying cash, I mean, the the house still has to appraise from a, a loan perspective. So, you know, all those things are considerations that you're having to set with the consumers in terms of how this is likely to go. Especially if you know if you're working with a seller and you're in a hot area, you can expect that you're gonna get anywhere 5, 10, 15, I even heard of 30 offers on a single property. Ooh. So, you know, so you have to develop, you know, the criteria in terms of, um, you know, how long do you want to keep this on the market? And, you know, how many offers is enough offers? Because it's like, after a while, you could just sit there and keep collecting offers, offers, you know, hoping that one's going to trump another. So you have to talk through those strategies too, in, in terms of how you're going to choose the offer that best accomplishes what the objective is. Okay. So, so realtors know that going in, you know, like, um, um, talk, you know, have, have a good game plan beforehand before it hits the market. That's right. That's right. It's all, it's all about preparation now. It's everything, you know, from preparation. If you're on the, on the buy side, you're the buyer's agent, it's preparation on how you're going to interact with your client, whether it's going to be in person, where it's going to be virtual, how you're going to go and actually show properties, what sort of due diligence um, you're going to be able to do for your clients as well. And on the sell side, it's also about, you know, the, the photography about the virtual tour about yeah. showings. I mean, so there's so many new uh, considerations to take into, into effect. You know, now when you're either showing properties or you're selling properties. Do you have to be willing to, um, I guess both the, the, the agent and the buyer, do you have to be willing to, to, to move on? I mean, I've, I've heard we've reported stories of, um, you know, buyers putting in offers that are 10, 15,000 over the asking and then, you know, putting in another offer, you know, even higher, maybe 30 over and they still lose out to, to a more competitive bid. I don't know how you, how you frame that as, you know, you might not get the first one or do you just, you got to tell your buyer that, Hey, you know, if that's the one you re- you have to be willing to, you know, go 20% over the price or, or something like that. Yeah. It is. I mean, it really does go back to you know, setting that expectation because you know it's right. you know, and unfortunately, given this highly competitive market, um, if a buyer is utilizing any sort of government-backed lending, such as FHA, VA, uh, yeah. 
you know, those, those, those deals are from a seller perspective, aren't as attractive because the appraisals on those tend to be a lot tighter. Whereas as somebody is coming in and putting 20% down, 30% down, going conventional financing, uh, they're much more likely, the house is much more likely to meet the sales price. So it really, you know, and that's one of the, that's one of the added uh, situations and the fact that right now rates are incredibly low, lowest of you know been in, I mean in thirty years, and yeah. you know for somebody who wants to get it and buy their first home, I mean it is there's no better, there's never been a better time from a rate perspective. But the problem is, is that if they're coming in and they're only they're limited on funds and they can only pay for what the house will appraise at, then they are going to have a very, very hard time in finding that home. And it's about setting expectations and letting your clients know this is reality right now. And, you know, we can, you, we can find, we can find you a house that you would be happy in, but it may not be in the area that you necessarily wanted. Walk me through, do a little bit of role playing. If I was a first time buyer, when we're having that conversation, perceivably with the way the market has been in recent memory in Austin, you're still going to make money when you sell that house too, though. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about setting expectations, but then look at all the houses being built, uh, you know, in Leander area in um, out toward the east and on the south side. So, so there is maybe a little bit of inventory on the horizon coming, delivering farther out into the suburbs. But, uh, but yeah, what, what do you, yeah. Walk me through if I was that first time buyer. Would say. Yeah. So, so, I mean, so sitting down with you, you know, we, we discussed, you know, what are your must haves, right? I mean, it's always, you know, you always have what you'd like, but what are your must haves? Is it the size? Is it the rooms? Is it the location? And you start from there, you know, and then you also talk about obviously your budget, you know, what are you either pre-approved for? What are you comfortable paying? And both of those things have to be set in, in reality, right? If somebody wants to live in Westlake and buy a 3,000 square foot house and can only afford to pay $2,000 a month, I mean, you can look, you know, you can keep looking and you'll never find that property. So it's about, yeah, so it's about, yeah, it's about, yeah, really focusing your search and based on reality. So that's really the, the first step. The, the other thing is going to be if it's in an area that is highly competitive where the days on market are less than seven days, then those homes are selling in multiple offer situations. So if somebody was first time home buyer, they were going to utilize FHA financing, which only requires three and a half percent down. Yeah. You would want to ask your, your buyer and say, is it possible that rather than doing FHA that you can go conventional or is it possible that in the situation where it, you're going to have to offer more than the house is worth that you can make up the difference if that is the situation because of the fact that if there's going to be such high demand for that property that you're not going to be able to compete in those situations. So it, it really takes time to make sure that you're setting those expectations because you know, the last thing you want to do is see your client upset, heartbroken, that they missed out on the house and uh, that they really wanted because you didn't set the right expectation or you didn't really inform them uh, accurately about what the market conditions are at this time. I do not envy um, you and your colleagues at realtors. You're having to be, uh, you know, salespeople, realtors, as well as economists, financial advisors mm-hmm. right now. Um, it's a lot of, um, a, a lot of skills wrapped up into, into that uh, realtor license right now. 
It is. It is. And, and you're right. I mean, as far as psychology too, because yeah, for yeah, most yeah. people, for most people a home reflects, yeah, it's more than just a place to live. Right. So you're talking about building a future, you know, raising kids. So there's a lot of emotion that goes into that. And again, I mean, that's where, you know, really, goes back to the fact that, you know, you have to set those expectations and be realistic. I mean, and sometimes, you know, you have to, you have to be, think outside of the box in terms of maybe somebody only wanted a resale house and you could talk about the benefits of what it means to go in and buy a new home. The fact that you don't have to compete in multiple offers that the yeah. property can appraise. And yes, I mean, those most of the new construction is in the outskirts, but at the same time, you know, do you have to commute to work? And yeah. would it, you know, would it be beneficial to have a dedicated office space, maybe in a dedicated uh, room that you can use as a classroom for your children, you know, if you're going to be doing virtual learning from home. So you have to look at all things. And of course, um, you know, when the pandemic first hit, people thought, you know, this is going to be like a two week thing. And, you know, yeah. here we are now, you know, five months later. And we're still in it with no end in sight. Yeah. And that, and not to be all doom and gloom because obviously, you know, we've shifted, you know, we've pivoted. Uh, and I think, you know, relatively speaking, you know, people are doing well under the new norm, but I think, you know, you have to now start to think outside the box and say, am I willing to sacrifice some things for the possibility of being comfortable in my home for a longer period of time? Romeo Manzanilla joining Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson. In our next segment, Romeo shares his interesting backstory and offers a glimpse into the future of the Austin real estate market when Texas Business Minds continues. I'm Rich Kurgasco, President and CEO of Texas Mutual Insurance Company. To everyone who has been hard at work providing the things we need during this crisis, we say thank you. You truly are essential and we're proud to be on the job with you. More at TexasMutual.com slash on the job. Continuing our conversation on Texas Business Minds as Austin Business Journal Managing Editor Will Anderson welcomes Romeo Manzanilla president of the Austin Board of Realtors and broker in charge at Realty Austin. Romeo, you have a very interesting story too. I'd like to maybe dive into a little bit of that here. Um, you were in the Navy, right? California boy and then the Navy. Yes, correct. Correct. So yeah, so I graduated from USC, which is which isn't very popular here in uh, in Austin, but I graduated oh, from yeah. USC. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, actually, I was in the Navy. Um, I went to Naval Flight School in Pensacola, Florida, Meridian, Mississippi. Uh, eventually was uh, with the uh, with the air replacement group out of Whidbey Island uh, flying prowlers. So I spent some time in Japan and South America. Hawaii, Korea, um, on a couple of different uh, missions. Very nice. Why Austin then? When um, when did you move here and why? So I moved to Austin in 99 and that was, uh, and you know, they say it's it's because of a girl (laughs) because I met my wife. (laughs) I was, uh, I met my wife in Corpus, in a Naval Air Station in Corpus Christi. Yeah. And and so I was stationed there. I was working for the chief of Naval Air Training, which is a a three-star admiral. And I was coming up to my reenlistment date and at that time was of course during Dell's heyday and Dell was recruiting pretty heavily for military officers they were going from this you know just homegrown um, company 
to wanting to expand and institute some of that military leadership into their corporate ranks as well. Is that around the IPO time or a little? Yeah, it was a little, it was a little, IPO was a little bit after that, but it was, um, but luckily I was at Dell when we went through three stock splits. So, um, so it was a good time, you know, back in the late nineties and before the, the tech, crash and everything else. So that's what brought me to Austin was, uh, was Dell. and decided to, to leave the military. And at that time, actually in 99 was during the, was the airline strike as well. So even trying to, com- to continue on as a pilot to fly commercially, there were really no opportunities other than being a, basically like a scab pilot. Um, and that you'd fly in the interim and that, or you could go and fly for FedEx or UPS or one of the, uh, transport companies as well, which wasn't something that appealed to me. Do you still fly? I do. I haven't kept up my hours. Um, cause you have to keep, you know, you have to fly a certain number of hours every year. Right. And I haven't, you know, I haven't, so I haven't kept up my license. Uh, uh, so I, I still miss it, but you know, ever since I came to uh, Austin, I've been so I've dived you know into corporate, and I've dived in, and I really have started to uh, just really really enjoy the things that I've done, and uh, and obviously growing my family here, and just making a whole life for myself here. Yeah, as broker in charge at Realty Austin, what does that mean? I, I you know I think of these um, think of realtors that I've worked with, and it's usually a kind of decentralized uh, situation with. You know, maybe you've got a great admin or two that's that's helping you out at the office with paperwork and and uh, but otherwise, you know, you might come in once a week or a couple times. You might uh, bounce some ideas off your uh, fellow agents. But um, what does what the broker in charge do? We operate under the system called EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Operating System, which is uh, Walt uh, Whitman's brainchild. And basically what we've done is that we have specialized roles within our organization. So we have sales managers, we have a VP of sales, we have a VP of operations, uh, we have our marketing director. And then my position as broker in charge is basically carrying all the liability <laughs> of the company in terms of in terms of risk mitigation, in terms of dealing with situations, issues that come up from a contractual standpoint. So my role is to advise agents on how to mitigate their risk, our risk, their client's risk, how to leverage uh, certain sales tactics in terms of just wanting to make sure that we're providing the highest level of service to our clients while still adhering to ethical uh, standards and legal standards. And how much uh, do you actually still spend a lot of time selling homes or, or do you have to devote a lot of time to, uh, to kind of a, a broker in charge rule? But my role is a non-procurement role. So I, I don't compete with my agents, you know, cause it would be a little bit, uh, it's always a little bit strange if you're a, um, a selling broker because then there might be situations where you're selling on one side and you're one of your own agents is selling on the other side. And there you're, yeah, at that point it it creates for awkward uh, interaction. So no, I don't actively sell once in a while. I do have some, I do have some clients who are high net worth clients who are pro athletes uh, and that I do work with. uh, And typically those are off market type of listings uh, in the past, though we recently have implemented an NAR ruling of clear cooperation policy where most listings have to go on the MLS now just to make sure that everybody has access to those listings. I saw the news coming down on that um, on Inman or something. Uh, Can you 
So, I, you know, I don't cover real estate full time, although I, I get my feet dirty in, the t- in it from time to time. Um, yeah. What is that? What does that National Association of Realtors rule mean? Does that mean there are no more uh, private listings? That's right. So basically, when that uh, came into effect, which was May 1st, it means that there's no more private listings unless the, the listing is kept private within your own brokerage. So if we have a pocket listing or a private listing at Realty Austin, that we can market it within our brokerage. But the minute that we market it outside of our brokerage, whether it's to consumers or it's to other agents from other brokerages, or even put up a for sale sign in front of the house. At that point, it's considered public marketing. And per the NAR ruling, it has to be put into the MLS. What's the thought behind that? The thought is that um, you know, we're, we, what we were seeing is that there were a lot of clicks in terms of whether they were face, private Facebook groups. And, and it was a situation where a lot of realtors were feeling like they were being excluded from having access to certain properties, whether it be luxury properties or just whatever type of properties, which in turn would exclude their buyers from being able to see those properties. So, but so as to level the playing field, NAR adopted this ruling by a pretty large uh, margin, about a nine to one margin. Um, And they said that basically, if you do any sort of public marketing, then that property has to go into the MLS. It keeps the integrity of the MLS from a data perspective. It also allows all MLS participants to have access to the same listings and not necessarily have to go and fish for which group am I, or Facebook group am I supposed to join to get these under the radar listings and so forth. And that that was really the whole reason uh, why that rule was adopted. Sure. It's like a level of transparency, like you said, leveling the playing field. And I, I assume, you know, the economist in me wants to say that the market would then, um, then you have, you know, when, when you're putting everything in the central database, the market will help decide prices then, not not just a small group of, uh, you know, when it's exposed to a larger buyer pool, it, it should... That's right. I mean, having the more complete data set really helps everybody, uh, whether you're the realtor that you are trying to look for comparables or you're an appraiser looking for comparables to be able to uh, correctly assess the value of a property. So, I mean, that's really the the whole idea behind having all of the uh, information in the MLS. You're also, as I said before, the 2020 president of the Austin Board of Realtors. Um, very influential organization here because it has so many members, so many realtors in Austin, um, but also then just because uh, as we've been talking about housing and, and affordability and and uh, location, these are all just such big, important themes in, in people's lives in Central Texas nowadays. Um, could you just tell us what you've seen recently, what you've heard in, in your in your role at ABOR and, uh, and what that experience has been like for you? Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, this, nobody could have expected this year. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of great events that we had planned, in-person events that we had planned, you know, were unfortunately canceled or postponed to next year. One of the big events we had was, uh, was Realty Roundup, and we were going to do this at the Long Center, and it was going to be the first of its kind here in Texas in terms of a realtor event, not just for realtors, but also for consumers to come and get educated and you know, we were expecting something like 5,000 people and of course we COVID you know pandemic you know hit and we had to push those plans to, to next year but you know one of the things that I'm really proud of of the Austin Board of Realtors as an organization is that we have been able to pivot and not just pivot 
just for the sake of pivoting, but in such a way that we have engaged our membership to a level that we have never seen before. You know, we have really positioned ourselves as the resource for our members, a resource for our broker members, as from an advocacy perspective, from a best practice perspective, from an education perspective. So all of our education now is done virtually on air. And it is a platform that we intend on keeping even once this pandemic is no more because of how successful it's been. So I think uh, from a from a member satisfaction level, it's never been higher because they realize that they're not just paying for access to the MLS. Uh, they are paying to be part of an association that really has their best interests at heart. It's it's been much the same where uh, at, at Awesome Business Journal, it's hey, you know this this work from home has worked pretty good, and then you get used to the. Uh, the webinars and the go-to meetings and, and the zoom calls and you say, Hey, you know, I can, um, you know, I can, I can still do my job effectively and look how we're, you know, embracing these new tools that we hadn't thought of before. Uh, like you said, it's the new normal and um, it's certainly a, a very difficult situation um, for, for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, but, uh, but there is a silver lining. That's right. That's right. I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, everybody shares a commonality, right? It's, it's now everybody has had to deal with this. This is not a, oh, yeah. a this is not something that just a select group or uh, of people are experiencing. This is something that's a worldwide experience. And I think, you know, for we can all share in the fact that, you know, we want this, you know, to this pandemic to be over and we, and we all are trying to do our best to adapt and work under a new norm. And, you know, you still hear stories about these Karens popping up, <laughs> which is also, which I find, you know, pretty funny, but I think for the most part, you know, as a society, you know, everybody's trying to do their part in being consistent of each other and just, you know, again, just dealing with the, uh, the now that we live in. Well, thanks for that fantastic update during these, um, these crazy times, the ups, the downs, you know, the, the, the life under the pandemic is um, definitely a lot of news that keeps us busy. So Romeo, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. And I just, you know, want to wish everybody to stay safe. And I think, you know, it, we, we can definitely, you know, get through this if we all just keep the right attitude about things. Thanks to Romeo Manzanilla for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.